You know, if you've got your outline there, if you don't mind opening that up and uh, grabbing a pen, um, we are studying this eighth beatitude. And we're going to talk about how to handle the opposition. Many people are surprised to learn that the most persecuted group of people in the world on the planet are Christians. It's not very well reported. The International Society of Human Rights, a very secular organization, nothing Christian about them, but they just recently let out a report that said about 80% of all religious freedom violations in the world today are directed at Christians. Now, we're all aware of what has happened historically in persecuting Christians for the last 2,000 years, that since the beginning of Christianity, the church, and specifically Christians in particular, they have been persecuted. You probably remember from College Western Civ or from world history in high school that for the first 300 years of Christianity, it was illegal to be a Christian in the Roman Empire. They were literally feeding Christians to the lions in the Colosseum. Nero, one of the vilest emperors, would tar, he would dip Christians in tar or wax paraffin and set them on fire, literally, uh, to make a human candle out of them as he lit his, his gardens at night. We know about the different cleansings through history, the tortures, the burnings at the stake, all of those things for the last 2,000 years, and many of those things seem so far removed from our minds and our society today. But what, most, what many people don't know is that the worst persecution of Christianity, of Christians in history, is happening in our lifetime. It's just not being reported. Since the resurrection, since Jesus came out of the tomb 2,000 years ago, about 70, they estimate about 70 million Christians have been put to death for their faith. 70 million in 2,000 years. What's shocking, and what most people don't know, is that half, about 35 million of those people who have died, have died in the last 100 years. That's 50% of the deaths in the last 5% of the years. So it's happening in our lifetime. It's happening even with all the exposure that we have to news year-round. This past year, as Julie said, 240 million followers of Christ, that's one in nine on the planet, live in countries where the state of the prevailing religion or the dictatorship has left 240 million followers of Jesus facing the threat of discrimination, persecution, interrogation, arrest, imprisonment, torture, and, of course, even, even death. So what are we supposed to do as American Christians about the persecution of our brothers and sisters in Christ? There are hundreds of thousands of Christian refugees in camps displaced, having to move to a new nation and other things. What is our response supposed to be? As, as we said in our interview, one of the first things that we're supposed to do is to be informed. And I, we're not going to hear this from the national news. It's not going to be on your, your local or your cable news network. Um, 
these reports that are coming out of these different investigations, these different organizations, you're going to have to go and Google those and read them and educate yourself. Second thing, so we're supposed to be informed. Second thing, we need to be praying. The Bible says we're to pray for those who are persecuted. And the third thing, we, we need to give. So we can give, we can pray, and we can learn. And we can be advocates for freedom. Now, Hebrews 13.3 is where Scripture tells us to remember those in prison as if you were there yourself. Remember also those being mistreated as if you felt their pain in your own bodies. So that's what God tells us to do. Now listen, anyone who thinks that being a follower of Christ, being a Christian, is like easy street. Like you're just going to coast through life and it's just going to be, you know, happy day forever. It, you're sadly mistaken. And I'm so sorry if some pastor along the way just said, accept Jesus and all your problems will go away. That's just not true. In fact, I often tell people, have you read the Bible? I mean, you know, that's not what happens to those of us who are Christ followers. Being a Christian, being a follower of Jesus Christ is not for wimps. It's not for weak, weaklings. It's not for the people who are faint at heart. It's not for cowards. We must be willing, as we follow Jesus Christ, we must be willing to face rejection. We must be willing to face criticism and lots of it. We must be willing to face disapproval. We must be willing to face peer pressure. We must be willing to face harassment. And we must be willing to face opposition if we are truly going to live for Christ. Now, don't take my word for this. 2 Timothy 3.12 says, Everyone, in fact, let's circle that first word, everyone. Everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer. Persecution. Circle those two words. Will suffer. It doesn't say might. This isn't an if. It's a guarantee. The Bible says it's a guarantee. If we stand for what is right, then there's going to be people who will oppose us. If we stand for what's true, there's going to be people who oppose us at every, every turn. If we stand for good, evil will oppose us. So like I said, this is very timely for what we see happening in the world today. Today we come to the eighth beatitude. We've been looking at these, the first eight statements of Jesus at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount where he says, if you want to find real happiness, if you want God to bless your life, so Jesus says if you want to believe, be blessed by God, here's what you need to do in your life to make yourself in a position of being blessed. Well, here's what you need to do in your life to be ready to find true happiness. We've looked at humility. We've looked at gentleness. We've looked at integrity. We've looked at mercy. We've looked at conflict resolution. Last week, Pastor Rich talked about being a peacemaker. And the last of the eight Beatitudes where Jesus says, if you want God's blessing in your life, if you want to find real happiness, he gives us this issue of facing opposition of facing harassment for our faith, of facing even the word persecution he uses. So we're going to look at what do we do with that today from where we are in America. We're going to look at how to handle opposition by looking at two things. First, I want to talk about what to remember when we feel like we're under pressure, peer pressure. What do we do 
And what do we, what do we need to remember? And then what do we need to do when we're feeling that, that pressure, when we're being harassed for our faith or we're being put down or ridiculed or maligned or criticized or whatever? What do we need to remember? Then what do we need to do? So let me just be real honest from the beginning. In America, we're not being persecuted. None of us are going to face a beheading this week. No one is going to face probably having their home burned down or their, their family taken from this. We're not being persecuted, but we are being pressured. There is a subtle pressure, or well, not so subtle sometimes pressure, to conform and to be like everybody else. And in America, we're, gonna, we're not going to face violent oppression, at least not for the foreseeable future, but we are going to face nonviolent opposition, silent repression. And there's, there's this subtle thing to shut up and sit down, to be quiet and don't give me this religious mumbo-jumbo, they might say. It's a subtle thing to not stand up for Christ or the HR police will be at your desk, to not make a public witness. In fact, there's pressure to just blend in and accept everything and don't offend anyone. Pressure to conform. And we feel it all the time. I give you a thousand different ways of this, but you know what they are. It's like when the boss pressures you to do something that we know is dishonest or unethical and possibly even illegal, and there's this pressure to conform because everybody does it. All industries do it. All our competitors do it. Everybody tells a little white lie. You know, and, and, and it's for the bottom line. And just get with the program. Or maybe we're invited to go to an event that we know as a Christian we shouldn't go to that event. You don't need me to list that out. You know in your spirit I shouldn't go to this. That's why you turn your find your friend off. You won't let your pastor have a find my friend thing and you turn it off. You don't want me to know you're there. Even though you post it on Facebook later, I guess, after too many adult beverages, uh, you know, you forgot, you know. Or, or you, you don't want your mom, you don't want to answer, oh, is my mom gone? Don't want her to know where I'm at right now kind of a thing. So you know there's places that we shouldn't go as a believer. It ruins our testimony. And, and if you say, though, because here's where the pressure comes in, if you say, no, I'm not going, then they're going to say, why? Why not? And it's like, well, you know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a Christian, and they will put you down. And, and they, you will be harassed. And they will say, well, you're so out of date, or you're, so, you're no fun, or you just don't have any freedom, and all these things. There's this enormous pressure. Peer pressure starts in elementary school. It magnifies in middle school. It gets higher in college. It becomes colossal, uh, higher in high school, colossal in college, and it keeps on happening. We all feel it. There's enormous pressure. We feel pressure to be silent when people are praising moral choices that the Bible says are obviously wrong. Don't you dare speak against those things. What, you don't think that that's okay? Oh, you don't think that that's okay? You don't think that what I, what I think is okay for me is okay? What's wrong with you? And I'll say, you're on the wrong side of history, Christian. Well, let me just tell you something. A lot of times, history, history is often wrong. And it is not important to be on the right side of history. It's important to be on the right side, period. It's important to be on the right side. It's not important to be popular. 
It's important to stand with the truth. So we'll be pressured to be quiet. We have a policy against that. There will be harassment for your faith. Don't say that. Don't say this. So what should we do? Well, there's some things we need to do, and there's some things we need to remember. Now, I'm going to give you three things that we need to remember, and I'm not going to teach on them at all. I'm going to read you the fill-in, and I'm going to read you the scripture. I'm going to say nothing else because I want to focus on the five things we should do, and I even ran over five minutes in the first service. Hopefully you guys will listen faster. Okay? And I can go on and on and on in the second service. Um, first, let's look at the three things we need to remember. Write these down if you've got your pen. What I need to remember when I'm facing opposition, number one, opposition can make me more like Jesus. Opposition can make me more like Jesus. John 15, 18 to 20 says, if the world hates you, rem- this is Jesus speaking, if the world hates you, remember it hated me first. The world would love you as one of its own if you belong to it, but you are no longer part of this world. I chose you to come out of the world, so it hates you. Do you remember what I told you? A slave is not greater than the master. Since they persecuted me, Jesus says, naturally, they will persecute you. The second thing I need to remember when facing opposition, opposition will deepen my faith. Opposition will deepen my faith. First Peter, remember Julie mentioned that Peter wrote his book, and it's a, a lot of it is about suffering. First Peter 1.7 says, These trials will show that your faith is genuine. It's being tested as the fire tests and purifies gold, though your faith is far more precious than mere gold. So when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. Third thing to remember, opposition will give me eternal rewards. Will you fill that in? Opposition will give me eternal rewards. Now the beatitude that we're going to look at today, I'm going to mention it later as well, is Matthew 5, verse 10 through 12. It says, blessed or happy are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. Now, we defined righteousness in week four. August of the 1st, I think, uh, was supposed to be our Sunday that we had VBS parents all here, but we didn't have VBS this year because of COVID. And we talked about in part four of this series that righteousness means a right relationship with God and living right for God. So go back to... Lesson four from this series, if you didn't remember that or you didn't get that. It just says that it doesn't say that God just blesses anyone who's persecuted for any reason. It says that God blesses those who are persecuted because they live for for God. Some Christians feel like they're being persecuted all the time, and they're not being persecuted because they live they live for God. They're being persecuted because they're a jerk. Okay, so you can't go be a jerk to people, you know, pound them over the head with a Bible and be religiously judgmental to everybody. And then they persecute you and say, oh, I'm being persecuted for Jesus. No, you're being persecuted because you're a jerk. Okay, and, and some, of us, some of us fit into that category sometimes. Let's just be honest. He says, no, this is being persecuted because of righteousness, because I have a right standing with God and I'm living a right life before God. He says, Because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, circle insult. When people persecute you, circle persecute. And when people falsely say, circle falsely say, that means they lie. All kinds of evil against you because of me. Notice there's three things there. 
Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. God says, I'm going to bless, I'm going to reward anybody who's persecuted because they live for me. They live for God. We get rewarded for being like Jesus. The Bible tells us when we share our faith, we're to do it with gentleness and with respect. We're not supposed to do it with a bullhorn and placards necessarily. There's three things that I need to remember there. Whenever harassment comes into my life, it can make me more like Jesus, it can deepen my faith, and I will be rewarded for eternity. I want to spend the rest of our time focused on what are the five things I can do. How do I apply this to my life? Knowing, Pastor Jerry, I'm probably not going to face a beheading this week, but I am going to face a lot of opposition, subtle and not so subtle. So what do I do when I face, not necessarily persecution, but when I, when I face opposition and pressure, the number one thing, fill this in, don't be surprised. Why are we surprised? Don't be surprised. We should not expect the world to support our decision to follow Jesus. When you read some of the things that Jesus says, Why would somebody in the world think that what we're doing is a good idea? Jesus says, you're going to have to eat my flesh, take my body, and drink my blood. It was given for you. That's crazy talk. How are they going to understand that? Now, we know the deeper meaning, the the symbolism there. Jesus says, in order to follow me, you're going to have to take up your cross to follow me. Jesus says, it's better for a man to lose his life. To find it. I mean, he says all these counterculture kind of statements. So when when your irreligious friends or family look at you and they say, you're going to follow this guy? This doesn't make any sense to me. It's because these truths are spiritually revealed. The only reason we know they're true is because the Holy Spirit has revealed this truth to us. So we cannot expect the world who's lost and they don't know the truth We can't expect them to understand. That's why he says, by the way, you need to love them into the family of God, not argue them or lawyer them or convince them into the family of God. He says, this is how they'll know you're my disciples. Not that you kept all the commandments or that you knew all the Bible verses. He says, this is how they'll know you're my disciples, your love for one another. Don't take my word for this. 1 Peter 4.2 says, dear friends, don't be surprised. At the fiery trials you were going through, as if something strange were happening to you. Jesus told them, in this world, you're going to have trials and tribulations. It's going to happen. Don't be surprised. Second thing, don't be afraid. Don't be surprised, but don't be afraid. How do I get rid of this fear of opposition? How do I get get rid of this fear of disapproval? How do I get rid of this fear of being rejected? Well, we need to be filled with God's love. The more we focus on and realize how much God loves me, how much God loves us, the less fearful we are because the Bible says that perfect love casts out all fear. We've got to keep our eyes on God, keep our eyes on Jesus, keep our eyes on his love for us. That's what gets us through the persecution or the pressure and oppression. We focus on God's love because healthy Christians are not afraid of rejection. Healthy Christians are not afraid of disapproval. Healthy, 
Healthy people don't need everybody else's approval. Healthy people know they're loved by God. 1 Peter 3, 13 to 15 says, If you suffer for doing what is right, God will reward you for it. So don't worry. Circle worry. Don't worry or be afraid of their threats. See, if you do what's right, people are going to threaten you sometimes. Instead, you must worship Christ as Lord of your life. Circle worship. And if somebody asks you about the hope, your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. So you've circled worry and you've circled worship. Those are the two alternatives that we have when we're being put down. We can either worry or we can worship. We can either panic or we can pray. We can either focus on the problem and the pressure and the persecution, or we can focus on God. So we turn our, he says, to turn your attention away from the problems and pressures, and you focus on God. That's what worship is. Worship is when we focus our attention on God. That's why we begin every worship service by singing songs to him and about him. It helps us to clear out the clutter, and to focus on the most important thing in the universe, our Heavenly Father, our Creator, who loves us more than anything. In fact, the model for this that we get is the story of Stephen in Acts in the New Testament. Stephen was the first martyr who was stoned to death for his faith in following Christ. And as they were hurling the stones that took his life, The Bible says that Stephen looked up into heaven. He looked up and focused on the most important. In fact, he wasn't focusing on his distant future. He was focusing on his immediate future as those stones came to him. So Peter says, don't be surprised. And he says, don't be afraid. Worship instead of worry. Third thing, don't be ashamed. We should never be ashamed for standing for God's truth. We should never be ashamed for doing what is right. Don't be ashamed. 1 Peter 4.16 says, It is no shame to suffer for being a Christian. Praise God for the privilege of being called by his name. So honestly for us in America, is an insult going to kill us? No. Is somebody putting us down going to kill us? Absolutely not. Is somebody calling us a name or labeling us because we've made a stand for the truth, the Bible, or a stand for Christ? Is that going to kill us? No. Is some troll on the Internet who's trying to bait us into an argument, is that going to kill us? No. It's not going to kill us. So don't be ashamed to take a stand. Don't be afraid. And don't be surprised. Now, I want you to write this sentence down because on the application side, if we could get this this truth down, it could change our lives. I've told you this before because it's taught several other places in the Bible. That I don't need other people's approval to be happy. Will you fill that in there? I don't need other people's approval to be happy. If If we could just learn this, it would change our life. Because otherwise, we end up living for the approval of other people. We end up living for what other people think. Instead of living to be who God made us to be, we start living our lives to meet the expectations of all the other people in our lives. 
And that's an exhausting existence. I don't need other people's approval to be happy. I need to focus on pleasing God, not on pleasing people. I got to tell you, the people that you've been trying to get their approval for so many years and years and years, if you haven't gotten it by now, I hate to tell you this, you're not going to get it. Maybe it's a parent, an unpleasable parent. Maybe they're not even alive anymore. And you're still trying to get their approval, and they're not even here. How crazy is that? I might need counseling. The good news is you don't need their approval. You don't need anybody's approval in order to be happy. You find real happiness. You are as happy as you choose to be and you focus, as you focus on God and loving him with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. And not focusing on all the people who might disapprove of you. All right, fourth thing I need to do. And this will help if we could understand this, if we could, if we could practice this. It's difficult for us to, but I'm going to give you the information. And then we'll work on practicing it on a daily, weekly, monthly basis. The fourth thing I've got to do when I'm facing opposition, I've got to recognize the source of the opposition. The real source of the opposition. The source of your opposition or the persecution that's happening in the places that Julie mentioned in China, the Middle East, and other places, the real source is Satan himself. It's not other people. It's not your coworkers. I get it. They're jerks. But it's not really them. It's not some political party that doesn't vote the way that you vote or have your, your values. It's not some other nation. That's not the real opposition. It's not some other religion. It's not some competitor. It's not some person at the office who just doesn't like you. Yes, they don't like you, but they're not the real source of the opposition. The real source of the pressure that we feel to cave in and to not have integrity, the pressure we feel to be quiet, to sit down, to shut up, the pressure really isn't coming from other people. It's coming from Satan. In Revelation 12.10, the Bible says that Satan is called the accuser of the Christians or the accuser of the brethren. That's what he does. He puts us down. Follow me on this, on this thinking. Does Satan love God or does Satan hate God? It's not a trick question. Satan hates God. He doesn't love God. Everybody should get that one. Satan hates God, obviously, and he also hates everything that God has created, the creation. And he hates even more God's children, those of us who followed Christ as our Savior. Satan hates you. He doesn't just hate God. He hates you. You've heard the phrase, God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life? Well, the opposite of that is also true. Satan hates you, and he has a terrible plan for your life. You can probably think of examples of people who are living that. God loves you, has a wonderful plan for your life. But Satan hates you, and he has a terrible plan for your life. So follow me on this. Satan wants to hurt God. He wants to hurt God more than anything. But he can't, because God's God. It would be like, I strike a match and say, this is Satan. And he wants to hurt God, but God is like the sun, S-U-N, you know, how is this match going to burn the sun, right? No, no way can that happen. So Satan doesn't try to hurt God directly. He tries to burn God's children. 
Because the way that you hurt a mom is you attack her kids. The way you hurt a dad the most, you attack his children. That's the strategy of the devil. To hurt the father, he does it by hurting those of us who call him father. Satan can't get at God. But he can get at you. And he can get at me. And he wants to hurt you. So there's this unseen spiritual battle that's around us all the time. And this pressure to make your life miserable and this pressure for you to cave in and this pressure to keep you from doing the right thing, it's not coming from other people necessarily, not really, not the real source. You've got to look beyond that. They're just pawns. They're just tools. They're just weapons. A lot of time, the people in your company, the people in, in, in the media and the people that are affecting you, they don't even know they're on the devil's side. They don't even know they're being used by him. So this real issue is spiritual warfare. Ephesians 6.12, again, don't take my word for this. Paul writes in Ephesians, he says, look, we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of, of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in heavenly places. So we need to understand now, Satan knows it's futile for him to attack Jesus directly. So instead, he attacks the followers of Jesus. That's me and that's you. It doesn't hurt God directly for him to attack God. Instead, he attacks you and I, the children of God. Today, he uses the media. He uses music. He uses comedians. Anything he can to ridicule the followers of Jesus. He uses professors, lots of them. He uses politicians, not all of them, but most of them, and on and on and on. And here's what the Bible says that we should do. Remember, we're not going to be surprised and we're going to not be ashamed. But when it comes and we know the source, here's what we should do. Now, you're not going to like this one. Let me just tell you in advance. This one isn't going to make you happy, especially when I add my little add-on to it. But when you feel oppressed, when you feel attacked, when you feel pressured, what the Bible says to do is refuse to retaliate. Refuse to retaliate. And I go, no, I want to retaliate. I want to fight back. We are most like Jesus when we don't strike back at somebody who hurts us. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm a lot like Peter. Peter, who wrote most of the verses that we're looking at today, by the way. You remember what Peter was like? Peter, Peter was a rough fisherman. He was most well known for foot and mouth disease. He, he always stuck his foot in his mouth. He spoke before he thought. And Peter, when Jesus was in trouble, what did Peter do? He's going to save Jesus. He's going to defend Jesus. He's going to whip out his sword and take off that soldier's head he missed and only cut his ear off. And what did Jesus do when Peter retaliated? Do you know? Do you know your scripture? Have you read your Bible? Have I mentioned you should read your Bible? In the Garden of Gethsemane, when Peter retaliates and Peter goes to protect Jesus, he cuts off the soldier's ear. Jesus rebukes Peter. He says, back up. He says, stop that. And then Jesus puts the ear back on the guy's head. Are you kidding me? Because I'm like you when people start 
arguing about Jesus or putting down Christians or start, you know, putting pressure on Facebook. I want to defend Jesus, don't you? We want to all defend Jesus. We're like, hey, don't you mess with my Savior. We're going to take you out. Let me just let you in on something. Jesus doesn't need our protection. We need his. Okay? You can't protect Jesus, and he doesn't want your protection. This is why he said, this is how they'll know you're my disciples. Not whether you know the right Bible verse or can argue better. He says, this is how you know my, my disciples. Not that you, you have a better retort or a better put down for them. He says, this is how you know my disciples. Your love for one another. And this is why we don't like this part. Because we want to retaliate. We want to get even. We want to prove them that we're right. But look what it says. Again, don't take my word for this. This is the beatitude of your Savior. The eighth beatitude says, Blessed are you when people insult you. I had you circle that. And persecute you. I had you circle that. And say false, falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad. Because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is the eighth beatitude. Jesus says, you will be insulted. It means people are going to call you names. You'll be insulted. That's the first thing. He says, you're going to be persecuted. You're going to be mistreated. You're going to be passed over for promotion. You're going to be abused. And then he says, you're going to be lied about. People are going to say all kinds of false things about you, to discredit you, to dishonor you. They'll do all these things. Look, the world loves to find fault with Christians. And they will find fault with you. And if they can't find fault with you because you're living this righteous life, you're living right before God, you know what they'll do? They'll just make up lies about you. Now, Jesus said this 2,000 years ago. It comes true every day. Romans 12, verse 17 and 18, Apostle Paul writes to the Romans. He says, don't repay anyone evil for evil. We like to get even. If it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Now, some people it's not possible to live at peace with. They're going to keep attacking, 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 attacking. You'll never have peace with them. But as far as it's up to you, as far as it depends on you, you live at peace with them. Don't attack back. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it's written, it is mine to revenge, and I will repay, says the Lord. I told you earlier, you don't have to have the approval of anyone else to be happy. Maybe one more second application point that you can fill out that will also change our lives if we could apply this. And that's this. Anytime I react, I give control to that person. If you're like me, you need to write the word over, overreact. Okay? Because I'm an overreactor. Some of us, anytime I overreact, I give control to that person. And we don't, want, we don't want to do that. We don't want to give them control. We can't control what other people say, but we can control our response to that. When we overreact, when we get in the flesh, when we retaliate, when we go to get back, 1 Peter 4.9 says, If you are suffering in a manner that pleases God, circle pleases God. If you are suffering in a manner that pleases God, keep on doing what is right. And trust your lives to God who created you, for he will never fail you. Now, there's something very important here I want you to see. This phrase pleases God. It says, so if you are suffering in a manner that pleases God. You're not going to hear this in some places, but the Bible says very clearly 
that some suffering is God's will. Some people say, oh no, Christians should never experience suffering. It's not God's will for you to suffer. Oh yes, it is. Sometimes suffering in a manner that pleases God, sometimes suffering is God's will. I bring that up because some, I know some people who are suffering and they think it's all their fault. Now some of their suffering is their fault. They made really bad choices. They didn't try to live right before God. And some of the times when we make bad choices, we suffer and it's our own fault. But you know what? You can make all the right choices and still suffer. Your Savior did. You can do everything right and perfectly and still suffer. Jesus did. Sometimes we do the right thing, and through no fault of our own, no bad choice of our own, we end up suffering in a manner that pleases God. Why? Why has God let that happen? Well, because sometimes suffering makes me more like Jesus, and sometimes suffering deepens my faith, and sometimes suffering provides real rewards in heaven, and suffering builds my character, and it brings me closer to him, and it teaches me to worship and not worry. See all the benefits of of suffering? Sometimes that's what happens. We pray for God to bless our lives. Lord, just bless God bless America and God bless me. And we don't realize what we're praying for is suffering. Yeah, because nobody ever says, God, just bring on the suffering so I can have a deeper faith and I can be like Christ. Bring on the suffering, Lord, so I can have good character and be close to you. Bring on the suffering, Lord, so I can learn to worship and not worry. None of us pray that. We use the word blessing, right? That's what I mean. We don't. We wouldn't know a blessing if it slapped us in the face sometimes. So you may be going through suffering right now, and I got to tell you, some of you, I know you are, and it might be God's will. He will see you through this. It says, "Keep doing what is right, and trust your lives to the God who created you. He will never fail you, whether you're facing a beheading." or you're facing a boardroom, whether you're facing persecution or you're facing pressure, you keep doing what's right and you keep your trust in God. He will never fail you. But understand, sometimes the suffering isn't your fault. And it's okay. God's going to bring good out of that suffering. So let me close with just a couple quick questions. I know we're about out of time. People are experiencing some tough things all around this world. Let me ask you this. This isn't going to happen. But let's pretend for a minute. If they made it illegal to be a Christian in America, if they decided, you know, we're going to throw everybody who's a real follower of Jesus into prison, would there really be enough evidence to convict you of your Christianity? Or would there be people who would stand up and say, no, 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 they're not really a Christian. I know they do all of these things. I know they live like this. And then, yeah, they go to that Seminole church every now and then, but that's just to get, he's just doing that to get his wife off his back. He's not a believer. Or would there be people who say, oh, no, that guy's a Christian. He belongs in jail. Are we wimping out or are we just kind of keeping our head down? Are we just kind of blending in when people attack believers do we just we just keep it quiet let me ask you a different way what is our faith costing us when our brothers and sisters are around the world are facing a firing squad or a beheading they're being tortured it costs so much for them to be a follower of christ what is our freedom costing us or at what 
cost would we draw the line and say, you know what, I, I won't go that far. If somebody put a pistol to our head or said, denounce your faith, what would you do? It makes me think of that Cassie Barnell, the Columbine senior high student who those two boys filled with evil that day said, if you believe in God, stand up and die. I hope I would stand up. We say, yes, I would stand up. And then we get so afraid of somebody's insult or so afraid of somebody disagreeing or so afraid of disapproval that we just shy away. We sit down and we shut up. What am I willing to lay my, maybe not my life on the line for, but my reputation or my friendship or my career on the line for? What is worth dying for? So we know that we're not really ready to live. So let me encourage you this week to take some risk, whatever the next step of risk is for you. I want you to challenge you to be courageous in some small way this week. You say, well, what do I need to do? I don't know. You ask God, God, what do you want me to do? For some of you, it may be just bow your head and pray. You're going to go to lunch today. You're going to sit down at a restaurant. There are going to be all these people around. Maybe you've never done this before. Bow your head, close your eyes, hold hands with your family, and pray and thank God for the food. For the food. Thank God for your family. And do it publicly. Everybody's looking. Yeah, they are. Make a public stand. Now, maybe you do that all the time, and that doesn't count for you. So you need to have a, a different step. Maybe for you, you're going to... You're going to be a witness. You're going to tell people or invite someone to church or tell them that you're a Christian. Heck, on social media, you do like Pastor Rich does. All you got to do is follow him and copy what he does. He's a good one to emulate. He talked about it last week. I, I try to be positive on social media, so he puts a Bible verse out there almost every day or like seven or eight of them every day. If you follow him, you'll know. And don't take the reference off. Let them know. No, Jesus said this, or this is a proverb, or this is from the Bible. It's not just a great saying. It's our Savior who said that, and let them know. Well, out of time, I could go on and on. But the good thing is, even though there's stuff that I didn't get to say today, uh, you've got to come back every week to hear me. So I'll, uh, <laughs> I'll have it for you next week or the week after, the week after that. Let's pray. Ask God to help us. In fact, why don't you just pray in your heart and make this your prayer and say, Dear Jesus, I want to care more about what you think than what other people think of me. Can you make that your prayer? Dear Jesus, I want to care more about what you think about me than what other people think about me. So I ask you to take away my fear of disapproval. I don't want to be a weak people pleaser anymore. I want to be a God pleaser. So please take away my fear of rejection. And when I feel that urge to be quiet and to not speak up, help me to not be afraid, help me to not be embarrassed, Help me to not be ashamed, to not be shocked, but to, in love, gently speak the truth. Help me to care more about your approval, God, than anybody else's. So say, dear Jesus, thank you for having the courage to die for me. And God, thank you for accepting me into your family. You know, if you're here or you're watching and you've never invited Jesus Christ into your life, say, Jesus, please come into my heart and my life right now and fill me with your love. I want to learn to know you and to love you and to follow you. Replace my fear with your love. I'm a sinner 
who needs a Savior, please come into my life because I want to follow you from this day forward. And it's in your name I pray, Jesus. Amen.